Thanks, Kev. I won't be preaching on that whole area this morning, but pretty much on verses 10 to 14. So you might like to keep your Bible open to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 10 to 14. Father, I ask today that you'll clear our hearts and our minds, enable us to understand your word deeply, particularly to understand who Jesus is and what he has done for us. And may that change the way we live so we might become more like you. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, before the world was formed, God had been working towards a very specific moment in time. Every event in the creation and in the early days of the world and in the history of the nation of Israel was leading the world ever closer to the moment that God was going to accomplish his plan, which he had formulated before the foundation of the world. Because you see, when, when, when mankind sinned in the Garden of Eden, and, and fell into the awful clutches of sin, God was not taken by surprise. I like that. God knows what's going to go on, and nothing surprises him at all. In fact, God had already devised a plan whereby sin could be taken care of, even before sin became a reality. And that plan centered around the one we call the Lamb of God. And this Lamb was promised to Adam and Eve just after they sinned. And it says in Genesis chapter 3.15 about this one that's coming. God is talking to the serpent and he said, one is coming. You're going to strike his heel, but he's going to crush your head. To crush the head of your opponent. Well, you might physically crush his head. That's helpful. But it also means to break his authority. So one was coming who was going to break the authority of sin and Satan over each and every one of our lives. That was planned from the very beginning. This, la this lamb, he was prepared through the miracle of the virgin birth. This lamb was provided when he was born in Bethlehem. However, the, the plan couldn't be finished until the lamb of God was presented. This lamb had to come into the world. He had to live here. But ultimately, to accomplish God's plan, the lamb of God had to die here on this earth. And these verses which Kev read for us this morning, they, they speak about the presentation of, of, of heaven's lamb. And I want to look at that very specifically this morning. And I hope that it's going to encourage some of you. It may be that the Lord wants to draw someone back to himself. You're wandering a little away from him in the journey. Or maybe you've actually never even gotten to that specific place where you've said, I want to offer myself to God. I need to be saved by him. Well, today is the day of salvation. It can come to every heart who wants it. But I'm sure that every one of us who's listening to, this, to these verses, these words today, that God wants to do something eternal in our hearts. So let's have a look at the verses which we've, we had read for us this morning. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 10 and 11. Let me read them again for you. And by that will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sin. What I want to look at right now is, is the incredible tragedy in the presentation of the Lamb of God. The reality of this tragedy, because the very phrases that are, are employed here, they describe the, the brutal death of Jesus. It says, through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ. Sacrifice for sins, it talks about in verse, 11, verse, verse 12. When the Lamb of God was presented 
as the perfect offering for sin, it was not some sort of antiseptic, sanitary kind of act. The death of the Lamb of God was horrible and brutal beyond belief. Here's a quick survey of what the Bible says about this fact. It says that he was betrayed by Judas and deserted, deserted by the disciples. He was beaten by the temple guards. He was rejected by the very people he came to save. He was scourged. That means he was whipped. He was mocked by soldiers and crowned with thorns. Isaiah says that the beard was plucked from his face. One of my grandchildren took hold of my beard the other day and gave it a good old-fashioned yank. And I thought, like, oh, imagine having it plucked from your face. He was stripped naked when he was crucified. When he was crucified, he was nailed to a cross. He was hung up to die. And Isaiah tells us that he was absolutely marred beyond belief. Well, I wanted to understand crucifixion a little bit further. And, and I did some more study. And I found a doctor's description about the cross and about what happens when a person is crucified. Let me read to you a doctor's description. Here's what he said. He says, The cross is placed on the ground. The exhausted man is quickly thrown backwards with his shoulders against the wood. The legionnaire feels for the depression in the front of his wrist. He drives a heavy, square, wrought iron nail through the wrist and deep into the wood. Quickly he moves to the other side and repeats the action, being careful not to pull the arms too tightly, but to allow some flex and movement. The cross is then lifted into place. The left foot is pressed backward against the right foot, and with both feet extended, toes down, a nail is driven through the arch of each, leaving the knees, the knees flexed. The victim is now crucified. As he slowly sags down with more weight on the nails in the wrists, excruciating fiery pain shoots along the fingers and up the arms to explode in the brain. The nails in the wrists are putting pressure on the median nerves. As he pushes himself upward to avoid this stretching torment, he places the full weight on the nail through his feet. Again, he feels the searing agony of the nail tearing through the nerves between the bones on his feet. As the arms fatigue, cramp sweeps through the muscles, knotting them in deep, relentless, throbbing pain. With these cramps come in the inability to push himself upward to breathe. Air can be drawn into the lungs, but not exhaled. He fights to raise himself in order to get even one small breath. Finally, carbon dioxide builds up in the lungs and in the bloodstream, and the cramps partially subside. Spasmodically, he's able to push himself upward to exhale and bring life-giving oxygen. Hours of this limitless pain, cycles of twisting, joint-rending cramps, intermittent partial asphyxiation, searing pain as tissue is torn from his lacerated back as he moves up and down against the rough timber. Then ag the ag another agony begins, a deep crushing pain deep in the chest as the pericardium slowly fills with serum and begins to compress the heart. It's now almost all over. A loss of tissue fluids has reached a critical level. The compressed heart is struggling to pump heavy, thick, sluggish blood into the tissues. The tortured lungs are making a frantic effort to grasp in gulps of air. He can feel the chill of death creeping through his tissues. Finally, he can allow his body to die. It's gross. The Bible puts it just this way, and they crucified him. That's all the Bible says. But in those four words are all that other stuff that I've just been reading. And why am I feeling so much emotion just now? Because you did it for me. It's horrible reading things like that. And I don't want to freak you out and make things gross. But we need to understand the incredible price that Jesus paid for us. Our sin 
That's what drove him there. His love for us is what held him onto that cross. That's what kind of a saviour we have. What wondrous love is this. What an incredible tragedy that that had to happen. Well, let's move on a little bit. The reasons for this tragedy. Again, the words of our text, they tell us why this horrible event had to take place. It says, we have been made holy, it says in verse 10. It says, this priest offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, it says in verse 12. And those, those two phrases, they make the point that Jesus was not dying for himself. He was dying for others. The wages of sin is death. And the prophet Ezekiel says, the soul that sins, it shall die. Yet when Jesus died, he died without sin. He was dying for sin, my sin, your sin. The word of God puts it this way. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And Peter puts it this way. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. When Jesus died on that cross and he endured that horrible, brutal, painful death, he was not dying for himself. He was dying for you and he was dying for me. He did what he did for us. When Jesus went to that cross and died there, he did it so that he would give the lost people of this world the greatest possible gift. The love of God. That's what he gave to us. Well, having described the brutality of the cross, I've got to go another direction because I need just a bit of an uplift at the moment. Sometimes, sometimes the sacrifice for sin is, is, is foreign to us as humans. And I found an incredible story about a man who went to a doctor after weeks of, of, of terrible symptoms. And the doctor examined him carefully and then he called the, uh, the patient's wife into his office and he said, your husband is suffering from a rare form of anemia. Without treatment, he'll be dead in a few weeks. The good news is it can be treated with proper nutrition. You need to get up early every morning and fix your husband a hot breakfast. Pancakes, bacon and eggs, the works. He needs a home-cooked lunch every day and then an old-fashioned meat and potato dinner every evening. It would be especially helpful if you could bake frequently. Cakes, pies, homemade bread. These are things that will allow your husband to live. One more thing. His immune system is very weak, so it's important that your home be kept spotless at all times. Do you have any questions? <laughs> the wife had none. The doctor then says, do you want to break the news to him or shall I? And the wife says, I will. So she walks back into the examination room where her husband was and, and he senses the seriousness of the illness. And he says, it's bad, isn't it? And the wife nods, tears welling up in her eyes and she says, yes, you're going to die. I <laughs> know, oh, that's a dreadful joke to tell at church. But she wasn't prepared to make the sacrifice, was she? Well, at the moment, I'm actually reading a book um, which was given to me a couple of Christmases ago by one of my kids about World War II. It's taken me that long to plod through it. And it, it talks about self-sacrifice in this particular book. And there was, um, it talks about the ship, the SS Dorchester, which was uh, being boarded uh, one dreary winter day in 1943 by 903 troops and four chaplains. And this was when World War II was in full swing. And the ship was headed across the icy North Atlantic when a German U-boat was lurking there. And at 12 midday, 
it fired a, a torpedo and it ripped into the hull of the ship and the ship was going down. So the men were crying out and a bit panicky and uh, they were trying to get into the lifeboats. And a young soldier came to one of the chaplains and he said, I've lost my life jacket. Well, the chaplain says, take mine and handed him his life jacket. Before the ship sank, each of the four chaplains gave away his life jacket to someone else. And then the heroic chaplains, they linked their arms together and they lifted their voices in prayer as the Dorchester went down. And all of these pastors were posthumously given the Distinguished Service Cross. These men knew what it is to make a sacrifice. Jesus knew what it is to make the ultimate sacrifice. He didn't hold anything back. He was willing to give his all on the cross so that we might be saved from our sins. As is written in one of the hymns, he did it all for me. I praise God. Well, let's move on a little bit. Let's have a look at the testimony because we looked at the tragedy so far, the reality of it and the reason for it. Let's look at the testimony of the Lamb's presentation. Look at verse 10. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. This is a testimony of conversion, of change. We have been made holy. To be made holy means to be dedicated to God. We have been dedicated to God through the sacrifice of Jesus. And the idea here is that through the death of Jesus on the cross and through the shedding of his blood, all of those who trust in him by faith are made into a holy people. Now, if you know anything at all about the Bible, you know that we are anything but holy when we enter into this world. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's a very helpful definition of sin in there because oftentimes we think like, oh, sin, you know, that's the naughtiness. You're such a bad, bad person. And there are so many people that I talk to who say, but Martin, I'm not a bad person. I pay my tax. I don't beat my wife. I look after my kids. I'm good. I give to charities. What do you want? I'm not sinful. But they miss the definition. The definition is falling short of the glory of God. Sometimes we need to move away from naughtiness to lack of glory. That's the definition. I do not have the glory of God. I've fallen short of the glory of God. Do you remember Adam and Eve? Well, no, you're not that old, of course. But <laughs> the story about Adam and Eve in the Bible, after they sinned, all of a sudden they realized they were naked. Well, they were vulnerable now. But what happened? Well, I believe that prior to that, they were clothed with the glory of God. Do you remember Jesus at the transfiguration? It's described in the Bible. He was glowing. Moses, when he came down from the mountain, his face was aglow. He had to wear, wear a veil because people couldn't look at him. He was too bright and shiny. I think Adam and Eve were like that in the very beginning. They were glowing. They were, glory was what, was, was what they were clothed with. And that left when sin entered the world. Well, that's our problem. We aren't shining with the glory of God anymore. That's what our problem is. And out of that comes all the naughtiness that we do. But sin is falling short of the glory of God. But thank God there is power in the blood of the Lamb. There's power to save us as lost people. There's power to transform a lost person, 
a lost sinful person, into a saint of God, a holy person dedicated to God, set aside for His glory. And that can happen instantly, completely. An eternal transformation comes when we come to Jesus and we ask Him to become our Savior and our Lord. I thank God for the way that He can convert us, change us, and make us glorious again. Now, I can only see your glory at the moment through the eyes of faith. But there is a day coming when we're in heaven and we will see that glory again. Praise God. So there's the testimony of conversion in the Lamb's presentation. There's also the testimony of conquest. Because verse 11 tells us, Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. For thousands of years... On the Day of Atonement, the Jewish priests had offered blood sacrifices to atone for the sins of Israel. And these sacrifices never cleansed anyone of one single sin. They just covered them over for a year. That was all. Every year, the high priest had to enter the Holy of Holies. He had to offer more blood. He even had to offer blood for his own sins. Yet with all the millions of liters of blood that has been shed in the tabernacle and in the temple, not one sin had ever been washed away. However, when Jesus came, when he died on the cross, everything changed. He offered himself one time on that cross. And when he did, he shed pure, innocent blood. And he forever satisfied the demands of God against sin. He is the atoning sacrifice for sins. The one and only He's the only one that can wash us clean of our sins permanently. So in other words, Jesus accomplished in his death what death, the death of millions of animals had failed to do. He finally and fully paid for sin for every single one who trusts in him as their Savior and as their Lord. So now, no one at all has to die in their sins. Anyone who will trust Jesus by faith can be saved from their sins and can be liberated from their sins and from its power and from its penalty. See, the fact that I've fallen short of the glory of God, that is dealt with through the blood of Jesus. The, lamb of bulls, the, the blood of bulls and goats couldn't do it. It could only just cover people. But the blood of Jesus has dealt with the problem. Finished. One sacrifice for all. So this brings to another testimony. There's a testimony of conversion. There's a testimony of conquest. There's also a testimony of completion. The phrase, one sec by one sacrifice, he is made perfect forever those who are being made holy. This is a statement of completion. We are made perfect forever as God's holy people through the blood of Jesus. The death of Jesus guarantees salvation that we can be saved, every single one of us, everyone who comes to Jesus by faith. When a sinner responds to the gospel message, when they embrace Jesus as their Lord and their Savior, we are made complete, we are made whole in Jesus. We are no longer seen as a singer, sinner. We are seen by God as a saint of God, as a holy one. Our sins are cleansed, we are washed, they're washed away from us. We are perfectly righteous in the sight of God. God doesn't see us as we are. In ourselves, he sees us as Jesus is. It's like God puts on his Jesus glasses, and there it is. That's all he sees, Jesus. How good is that? Isn't God amazing? There's no other religion on planet Earth that does any of that, brothers and sisters. 
That's why Christianity is the way. It's the only way. I'm a holy person. I'm righteous in Christ. God took my sins away. Praise God. And we have eternal life. We are saved forever. Look at verse 14 for a second. By one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. That's permanent. It's mine. I've got it. I've received it by faith. I'm saved. Hallelujah. You can't take it away from me. It doesn't matter what you do. That's permanent. Jesus put it this way. He says, he who believes has everlasting life. I have everlasting life. I know this body of mine will one day give it up. I don't care. Well, I do. The process concerns me a little. But you know, after that, let's get out of here. So we are perfectly made holy. How good is that news? And there's also an incredible triumph too. I want to move on. Verses 12 and 13. Let me read them for you. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. Interesting. There's triumph here in the Lamb's presentation because when Jesus died on the cross, his death was not the end of the story. These verses tell us something about the ministry of Jesus after the cross. Verse 12 tells us about the triumph of the resurrection because it says after he offered for all time one sacrifice, he sat down at the right hand of God. This is a very interesting verse. It moves directly from picturing Jesus on the cross. The next image we see is Jesus seated at the right hand of the Father. Between the cross and the crown, there's this monumental event we call the resurrection. You see, Jesus died on the cross, but he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead to secure eternal life for every one of us who's going to believe in him. His death paid for his sins, but his resurrection gives life to all of those who trust in him. Do you hear what I'm saying? He paid the penalty through dying on the cross, but because he has risen from the dead, he can give life to you and to me. So there's the triumph of his resurrection. There's also the triumph of Jesus reigning. So since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. We are told that the risen lamb, he sits at the right hand of God in heaven. He's waiting for the day all of his enemies are finally going to be defeated. Now, I don't know if you know it or not, but Jesus is very special. He died on the cross. He rose from the dead. And he's now going to reign, rule, be in charge through all eternity because he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. In fact, one day every knee is going to bow before him and every tongue is going to confess that he is Lord. That is going to happen for every single person that ever lived or will live. They're all going to bow the knee and they're all going to declare that he is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. By the way, if you confess him now as King of Kings and Lord of Lords, your soul will be saved. If you only confess him then as King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and you will confess because there will be no other choice, you'll be forced to bow down and confess before him and your doom will be hell. Now you make the choice and you are saved. Then you will declare the truth and you're still going to be lost. Whilst ever there's breath in your lungs, you have the opportunity, you have the time. God gives you the grace and the ability to declare him as Saviour and Lord. 
The Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, He was sent in the world for you and for me. He was born for us. He lived for us. He died for us. He did everything so that we could be liberated from our sinfulness about falling short of the glory of God so that we could have hope of a home in heaven one day. He gave himself willingly to death so that we could taste life, not just any life, but eternal life, everlasting life, new life, heavenly life, whatever you want to call it. He presented himself for you. The question now is, have you presented yourself to him? Do not leave this building if you are not sure. Spend time. Pray. If you need more questions answered, I'll be here after the service. Grab me and say, Martin, I need to talk some more. I'm happy to talk. I'm happy to answer any questions. I'm happy to pray with you. But today is the day of salvation. This is the day the Lord has made that we can rejoice and be glad. I've got reasons to rejoice and be glad because I am forgiven. He sees me as righteous. He sees me as holy. He sees me as perfect in Christ. Make sure that's the image that you've got of yourself as well. Make sure you're right with Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the incredible story of the Lamb of God, slain from the foundation of the world. Thank you for the way, Lord, that you, you prepared everything in the beginning, that nothing took you by surprise, that you know exactly what we were going to do and how we were going to behave, and yet you provided a way out for us. Your goodness, your grace, your mercy is overwhelming, Lord God, and we just worship you. We say thank you for the person of Jesus, that he, the Holy One, the Righteous One, would take our place on that cross, and we declare him afresh as our Saviour and as our Lord. Amen.